0: been a
1: while hasn't it
0: No, oh, it has <laughs> yeah our first break so does that make this season two now
1: we could call I was thinking that we could call this season two yeah I think we that. could uh relabel all the rest season one oh, we don't need to relabel no no uh no retconning here we can the break between pre-job pre-job podcast and now we've got during job podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, you were going to say post-job, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can have one for post-job. If that yeah, that be, be season three and it'll be much more depressing.
1: <laughs> Between jobs podcast, we'll have to call it. <laughs> yeah. So, we, yeah, so we've been away for a little bit and so we weren't really sure what to come back with, but we had kind of one of our questions on the cards and we thought we'd uh, ease back into things with...
0: If it's not broken, should you fix it? And now I put this
1: card in but can you tell me why because i was i talking about something and you put this card in so i was talking about going in is it kind of going into a work i've been i went into a project and wanted to make all these changes but realized that i should leave all that stuff there i can't quite remember
0: yeah it did it kind of ties in with that but specifically you wanted to change podcast hosts
1: Oh yes, I remember now. Yeah. yeah, yes, I did want, and I still do want to do that. Yeah. Obviously, we've not been doing the podcast, so it's not been on my mind. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I did want to change podcast host, yes, but I was thinking long term for the future that mm-hmm. it'll be more more useful. Yeah. So I'm trying to trying to fix it earlier as opposed to letting it get to a point where we have to fix it. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of logic there, and I think
0: it's there's plenty of reason, plenty of cause for discussion on podcast host. We can. I mean, what we've got works but has limitations and there are benefits to other solutions, so we can talk it out in the coming weeks, I'm sure, and see what happens. But it did highlight to me the concept of, yeah, it's very easy when you're new at something to go in and think you can change everything. And the urge to change things and rip things down and start completely from scratch is very strong in almost every project. that the, You've, you've um, come across, no doubt, the uh, not-built-here syndrome,
1: or um, maybe you should explain that, Tom.
0: Well, I don't know. The best way to describe it possibly would be when you get someone in to do some work on your house, a builder of some, some description, and they look at what is there already and they sort of take a deep draw on their cigarette and wince and go, Oh, who put that in? Oh, who did this? Developers do that all the time. I do it. I've noticed other people do it. I think pretty much everyone I've worked with at some point has been guilty of it i've so I've only been at work eight months and i've seen that happen <laughs>
1: yes i'm not surprised yeah. and I, I get the impression maybe you have done that also did i say eight months i meant eight weeks um yes i've also done that i wanted to change things and actually it's kind of worked because i'm now but i've now just been told to rewrite the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to uh, change bits of it yeah so you
0: may come it uh, might work out Amazingly for you, but you may also come across one of the perennial issues of being a developer is that the clean rewrite the clean rewrite is um yeah, almost worse than sticking with the horrible legacy code.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite nice to go into something and there's already like a base of things there and you can just tinker around with it and you've got someone else to blame when it goes wrong. <laughs> um but also it's been quite nice kind of working on a new project and having a bit of free reign, but also, yeah it's it's been chan- I, it's been more challenging, kind of just starting from scratch. I wonder is that possibly because
0: a lot of it's new to you as well
1: I think oh, I mean hundred percent of it's new to me, so that's probably what it <laughs> it's JavaScript, which uh, people know my thoughts on that, and C sharp, which I've never done before, so it's yeah I, that's probably part of it. <laughs> mm. but when you're working in an existing code base, you have there's
0: prior art for everything, and you can see even just in terms of sort of syntactical styles that like you can see how people have written. Certain things, and you can pick up the patterns and habits that they've got, and you can replicate them. Because I think when you're diving into someone else's code base, it's very, it's almost, it's more important that you respect the rules of the place that you're in than it is that you apply necessarily best practice or the way you think something really should be done. Because for me, I mean, I'm like when it comes to spacing and things, I'm a um, free indentation. I'm spaces and four of them. All the time. That's my hard, hard and fast rule. But I would never override that in someone else's project. If I come and start working on a Ruby project and there's two spaces, I will obey that. Um, if, what if there are three spaces? Yeah, I would work. Yeah, <laughs> the tooling is such that you can work around it. It would be very weird. It would make me cast a sec uh, you know, cast an eye on the uh, developer <laughs> who'd written it and maybe slightly questioningly. But I would try and yeah you know, respect the code that I've written that. Uh, the code that I'm adding to and make sure that when someone's looking for the idea the ideal goal is that you add a feature the original developer or team come back look at that code and it's indistinguishable from the code that they've written everything is seamless they understand it um, you're writing
1: for the other developers as much as you are for the computer yeah I've, I've probably fallen foul of that a little bit I've kind of I've tried to stick to kind of naming conventions and obviously the simple syntactical stuff but when it comes to uh, m- all my code being readable by the uh, other members of my team, that's not always been the case.
0: Oh, and I, yeah, I think <laughs> you look through any of my any code I've written, and there's undoubtedly some
1: weirdness in there that no one else would understand without it being explained. I, yeah, um, we, we yeah, I had to sit down with some of them, and they're looking got a code review, and they went, "Oh, so, so Ed, what, what, what does this bit of code do?" And, and I looked at them, I went, uh, "To be honest, I don't know," <laughs> and I'd written it <laughs> about three days ago. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that, on making my code a bit more readable. I think that's very important. And that probably helps with the fixing fixing it problem in that it makes it easier to fix when it's more readable as opposed to something that's really condensed and clever. Mm. And I think refactoring as well is tricky because you can look at
0: particularly, I mean, I came into a project recently where I was the expert being brought in to fix this broken thing. And I took one look at it and was like, "Oh, the way they've done that—that's not the best practice. There's a much more elegant way to do this particular thing that they've done." Um, and it turned out after a month of me working around that that first assumption—that oh, they did this because they're idiots—was completely wrong. <laughs> and it turns out <laughs> they too had tried to start, uh, tried to do it the elegant way, and discovered that oh, yeah, it might look beautiful and elegant in code and be conforming to the best practices of the platform but actually it's a performance nightmare and everything <laughs> falls apart if you do it that way so they had to write the hacky horrible stuff generally speaking always assume that the person whose code you're refactoring knew what they were doing and that they've made their decisions for no No one writes bad code on purpose they must have done if there's workarounds in there they're there for a reason
1: generally speaking yeah, yeah. Uh, I find some of the workarounds I ended up doing were because i didn't know about a way of doing something and i think like it's good to say don't assume that someone's done something without good reason but they might just not know about the best like if you'd have gone to that code and looked at it and went oh that's not the most elegant way of doing it this is a better way of doing it you could have the answer there and that could fix it and be a lot better than necessarily being wrong in that situation sometimes
0: a refactor can be
1: useful I think is yeah, but I've tried refactoring and it all always seems to break. Whatever I'm trying to refactor <laughs> it seems to be the most often, most often uh, situation.
0: Well, are you following the Fowler technique and writing loads of tests before you start refactoring stuff?
1: Um, no. <laughs> ah, you should do that. You should read read all the all the refactoring books. Um, I just I find it really hard to write tests first. Actually, my did I you about my boss who. Dislikes t- dislikes unit tests.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: and uh, prefers integration tests.
0: I can and completely I understand that. That no, makes, yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. I prefer unit tests because I'm better at writing them. <laughs> and they're easier. Um, yeah, they're easier yeah. to write, I suppose, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. I find unit tests more useful, um, but only in the context of how you've got to be careful about how you break it up and you decide what to test. It's like almost as important. Like You can get too far... If you're testing the specifics of your solution rather than the output like the actual result i think you've gone off pieced a bit it's almost like overfitting like when you're doing a, making a statistical model and you overfit to the data you can do that with tests as well you can overfit your test coverage to your particular code when actually what
1: you're trying to test is it does the job and gets the end result you want yeah so anyway but wait, this is not an episode on uh, <laughs> testing <laughs> we've done one of those and we got some wonderful feedback
0: Oh <laughs> hey, no we did good we got good
1: feedback and yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the time well, from what I've seen is kind of in I don't know whether this has happens at your company, but at my company and my little team, those kind of we have a we have a product that starts as one thing and then bits get jammed onto it and then bits get like squished into the middle of it. And can you kind of push something else out of the way, squeeze it in and then push it back in again. Um, so this kind of the the, the project that I started uh, dealing with was this kind of sprawling mess of lots of different features kind of squished together and could do with a big refactor and a whole rewrite, which is actually what I've ended up doing, which is, seems maybe the best situation in this case. But oftentimes kind of it's that you try and, take like one line of code out and it's like taking a screw out from the bottom of a building that then collapses. <laughs> um, it seems maybe that's kind of what we're talking about here, isn't it? Is whether do you go in there and kind of rip stuff out and try to make it clean it up or do you kind of leave it as it is and try and work around it?
0: Yeah. There's the idea of the sort of pragmatism as well, isn't there? Like if it works and does the job, even if it is creaky and it falls apart, if it's working and it does it and you can spend your development time your, your development time is better spent working on something else maybe that's a better thing to do and you just live with it being a bit ugly um, the, the I mean where it gets through, you get into the grey area and the boundaries of should you actually strip this thing apart and start again is when you think about how much you're going to be working with this code base going forward because if the time if it's going to take you two weeks to completely rebuild to where you've got to then yeah that that's a difficult business decision to make but if you're going to be spending the next six months in this code base, and every time you make a change, everything falls apart, and you are wasting hours and hours, and maybe even days putting it back together
1: when little tiny changes break everything. Then that refactor is a sensible decision, hmm. and it's kind of similar to think the way we th- we talk about tests in that you should write tests first, and then that even though it seems slower at the beginning, it does end up down the line being quicker. But like, but if say you were we talk about your project and it was going to take you two weeks to refactor it, but you're only going to be working on it for another two weeks after that, then there's probably, that, that seems like a very really stupid thing to do, I imagine. There's probably some cutoff point there about where you want to decide where to make that refactor. But I, I suppose those decisions are going to come down to kind of team leads and people in charge as opposed to the developers themselves. Well, I think the
0: developers themselves should have a hand in scoping out the work to start with. And one of the things about that is knowing what done looks like like what is a win for this project at what point can we down tools and say we've achieved our goals and do those goal is one of those goals writing the most perfect code ever or are the goals xy and z specific business outcomes mm-hmm. and and if your code meets them and is ugly and hacky and horrible but it meets those objectives you put down your tools and you move on to the next thing because it's done
1: it's about making the business decisions, not
0: necessarily the ones you do if you're sat at home on your own project. <laughs> mm. oh, yeah. And I've, I've fallen into the, the very typical JavaScript developer um, paradigm of development, which is new shiny development. <laughs> so there's there's a, new, there's a new library or a new framework I would like to play with. Um, so I'm going to focus on that. <laughs> and yeah, let's, re- Let me re- write,
1: <laughs> re- rewrite my app in this uh, new framework. You could be doing that every week, Tom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, we laugh
0: a lot about JavaScript frameworks. I think it should, I mean, and this is a tangent on top of a tangent on top of a tangent, but we should say for the record, I mean, those assumptions were made five years ago. That that stereotype of, oh, there's a new library every five minutes and everything's changing. JavaScript doesn't know what it's doing. Everything's unstable and you can't write anything with any any certainty. It's changed now. It's... it's maturing it's an almost i wouldn't say it's completely mature but it's a maturing language and the framework system has pretty much stabilized there's new things come along all the time which keeps things exciting but the main fundamentals like the concepts are the same the language is slowly evolving rather than having like a massive rev- revolution like it did in 2015 it's solid and it's good and i keep telling myself that <laughs> <laughs> believing it to be true
1: well, I've been working with Vue, which is a JavaScript framework, for the last couple of weeks, and it's quite good. Yeah, better than I thought it'd be. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, I don't have to be dealing. I'd rather just write pure JavaScript. But this is actually uh, i got got my store, and that's been very useful. Yeah, and, yeah. I just it makes a lot cleaner.
0: <laughs> we'll have to do a, get you to give me a breakdown of your Vue project. I'd love to see how it's how it's changed since in the sort of four years since I last played with it. Yeah.
1: Well, it's Vue 2.0. Mm. I don't know if that was around when you were... I can't even remember if it was 1 when I played with it. Ah. Yeah. Mm. It just looks... Mm. I, I looked at React. I haven't played with it, but it seemed more... view's very HTML-y and kind of, it kind of makes more sense to read to me.
0: Yeah, that's what, I've, that's what I've reacted against almost, is that it's kind of tied to your markup and you're putting quite specific things in there. But I think maybe this is a discussion for another time. <laughs> we should get back on track and think about... like. If, like, what are the motives, like, what are the dangers to switching when something pretty much works? And I think I've had to learn the hard way that there's hidden depths to almost any programming, programming challenge. And going in lightly thinking, oh, yeah, being all blasé and thinking, I'll just rewrite this and it'll be fine. And, oh, let's change that because there's something new and shiny
1: is not always the best course of action. And, in fact, is very rarely the best course of action. <laughs> So you would suggest that if I see something that is jank, is the word that gets thrown around a lot, um, then I should just leave it as it is, kind of just try and do my best to work around it. Unless you can, th- unless you can come up with a solid
0: reason for changing it that is more than just "oh, I could write that better."
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Making having a really good reason behind you got to kind of you probably have to give your case for why you want to rewrite something mm. before you can do it. So I guess you make sure you're prepared if you're planning on doing something like that. Then you've got some good reasons behind you instead of just going in there and going, ah, oh, I'm going to rip this out. I think this, I think that. Well, get some facts, lay them down, take an estimate. <laughs> All those things I imagine would be important. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I think it ties into well, two concepts that are quite sort of well-joined together um, that I think are worth considering at this point. And the first first of which is make your stack as boring as possible. The thing that is exciting about the project you should be, you're should you working on should be the business logic. It should be the code that you... like the actual problem-solving that you're doing. And if the problem-solving that you're doing is to learn something new, then that new thing is the, the one bit of your code that is exciting and new. And that's fine. But generally speaking, if you're writing code professionally, you have... A specific objective and that is the tricky complicated bit that you should be sort of working your way around and, and trying to trying to negotiate you should make everything else as boring and as simple as possible
1: yeah i think that's uh maybe not advice people want to hear but it's probably the best course of action especially when it comes to kind of your job and working on a project like that um and by making it boring you're going to make it you're going to make it less broken i suppose aren't you absolutely <laughs> that's the reasoning behind it <laughs> there's going to be more People out there that have dealt with these, sim- it's almost going to be simpler, isn't it? That you're going to end up with a simpler product, and that's going to be one that lasts longer. I imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then, and the second part of that is a concept that kind of comes from startup business thinking that has stuck with me, and I always think of when I'm putting particularly starting new projects and structuring new new things is that you can only, you only get one miracle if you're putting a startup plan together for a business pitch you can rely you can it's okay to hope for one miracle like to say we've got this fantastic idea and it would be it it would be really amazing if it took off and everyone really loved this one aspect of it and then all the rest is solid business and predictable and understandable if you've got two points if it's like oh the world needs to understand that this new widget is amazing and then also they need to understand that our particular solution is fantastic that's two things and that's two miracles
1: and that's just too much to, to count on mm. i um, think you talked about it when we started doing the uh the, the beloved weather app that were, uh, many <laughs> many moons ago um i think that was what i think that was one of the things you brought up when we were when we started doing that yeah
0: yeah and uh, yeah so when i put that in a tech context there should only be one on one big unknown in any project i get in, involved in I and I think you should eliminate everything else. If there's more, if if it's, oh, I've got to solve this complicated problem, but also learn this new technology at the same time, that's a no-go. That's a red flag for me.
1: Mm. Some good advice. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it depends, doesn't it, Tom? <laughs> oh, I wish it didn't, but it always does. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like uh, most of the time, if it's not broken, should you fix it? Probably not, unless you've got some really, really good reasons, and you're you're kind of having trouble with it um, going forward, and you're thinking, oh, I've got to work for this for the next year. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time to fix it, or not, yeah, fix it or like remake it in the way that's going to make it easier for you to work with in the long run. It's like those uh, marginal gains, isn't it? Like it may seem like a pain to fix it now, but it's probably worth it in the long run. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes five minutes a day
0: saved. It actually adds up and is is worth maybe spending a couple of days of dedicated time to get that gain. Uh, yeah, a lot of times it is, and that's part of de- that's part of the fun of development is optimizing that side of things. Um, but yeah, the rest of the time,
1: generally more more often than not, it's not worth that effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think there's definitely some things to take away from there, and I will also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's also nice to, that it's not specific. It's not just a It depends. It's it depends on these specific factors. We're saying if you're, if you're facing that question of you've got a code base, it's a bit janky as you say, it doesn't necessarily behave the way you want or look as nice as you want and you want to fix it you you have a framework within, a framework to make that decision in. You can say am I going to be working on this for a long time? Is this, are they, am I going to see a return on my investment of the time I spend refactoring this? Um, and is it specifically broken in any specific ways and how can i measure the results of having fixed it because you don't want to spend two weeks improving something and the code like the app to the outside world your code looks exactly the same so thanks a lot for listening make sure you check us out on twitter at aqocode and you can find us online on our website at aqoc.dev is that right yeah, <laughs> yeah. One day I'll learn the website. Yeah, so there we go. You've got Ed's vote for it, <laughs> Um and that's all we've got time for this week. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Goodbye. So that's a good point. That's a good point to touch on is that you have been gainfully employed for a while now.
1: Uh, yes, I'm having my two month review tomorrow. <gasps> oh, you you worried? You nervous? I'm not. No. <laughs> So yes, I have been working now for around 8 weeks and it, it, it's been a it's been a journey. I have learned a lot and I have felt inadequate a lot of the time and I've felt good a lot of the time and I've been happy going to work. So Yes.
0: Well, it sounds like there's a lot there to touch on in the, the in future episodes as well, I think. I know we've definitely got one planned for imposter syndrome, and it sounds like there might be some uh, certainly imposter syndrome adjacent feelings happening over there. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is inevitable because, yeah, you're starting something completely new, surrounded by people who already do it. Um Yeah. I didn't want to label it though. No, I don't think, and I don't think you, I don't think you can technically call it imposter syndrome when you're brand new and you know that you're brand new because it's normal. You're not, you're not an imposter. Everyone
1: knows what position you're in. Yeah. So, um, uh, sorry to the listeners for the break, but I had I was fighting with internet companies and a house and all that sorts of things. So don't don't blame Tom.
0: <laughs> well I'm I was as someone who is chronically lazy I was happy to to take a rest <laughs> for a <little> while
1: <laughs> but you have certainly had a lot going on haven't you Yeah but I think I think we can pat ourselves on the back for actually coming back because I can imagine sometimes you stop things for a couple of weeks and then you just never do them again That's what happened with my blog <laughs> Yeah So happened with a lot of things I've done yeah Yeah but Here we are Yes. because of you, listeners, sending us your wonderful feedback, saying how much you enjoy it. It's yeah. kept us going, motivation.
0: It has been marvelous. Yeah, to actually get to actually hear that there are listeners out there, a that they exist, and b that they find that, <laughs> we, that we find what we do interesting and, and inspiring and useful, which is
1: how How are we going to get the advertisers if you talk like that, Tom? <laughs>